0: This is Almost 107, a Fanshawe College Journalism student podcast. Get real. These
1: are now Canada's new refugees.
2: Okay, don't panic. It won't work. And it was chaos.
0: The world is changing, now very different from the one most of us remember growing up with. With a war in Ukraine, earthquakes in Afghanistan, tensions in China, conflicts in Israel, it seems like there's a new urgent problem being created every single day, directly or indirectly affecting our lives. Now people are feeling the effects of the world more than ever, most easily seen in our mouths and in our pockets. I'm Justin Kohler, and on this episode of Almost 107, we'll take a deeper look into how the world is continuing to affect regular Canadians and Londoners with food pricing and its impact on lower income families.
1: So, what we're seeing is that in every city, the numbers of homeless are growing exponentially every
0: month, as well as money and investments with their impact on middle income homes.
2: Translatable to higher taxes for us.
0: You're listening to Mouths and Pockets, where global impacts can be seen. I want to begin by saying that the problems created by various conflicts, catastrophes, and events across the globe impact each individual city, country, and continent in different ways. No one spot in the world sees the same issues and problems that other areas face. While that makes every place on Earth unique from the rest, it also means there's never one universal solution to any given problem. For us in London, Ontario, the biggest impacts we're seeing on a regular basis are in our food and in our money. With inflation being a key word thrown around a lot in stories of grocery hikes and housing costs on the rise, some of the largest groups in the city who've been indirectly affected by the world are lower-income families and the homeless population. Glenn Pearson is the director of the London Food Bank, having an in-depth knowledge of the numbers, analytics, and current condition of the homeless population in the city. He says, though, that even while being the director of the food bank, he doesn't just see it as his own.
1: I think people uh, kind of see it as their food bank. You know, we only have seven uh, staff at the food bank. Everybody, We have over 3,000 volunteers. Ooh. So I do think that the community um, looks at it as their food bank.
0: With the markets changing, various global events have caused the prices of homes, gas, heat, and even food to skyrocket. With Pearson saying that the numbers show just how much low and middle class Londoners have been feeling those impacts on a local level. I know you mentioned uh, records and I know the food bank has been sort of breaking their own records in terms of usage over the past few months. How has it been not just for the clientele coming in, but also just as the food bank handling that increased workload and, and need from Londoners?
1: I think for staff, it's a bit, you know, it's more challenging to manage. I think that's really true. But as I said earlier, we have almost 4000 volunteers. Right, at, at various places in the food bank operation and doing different things, so we, it would be difficult to staff it to handle it all. But they don't. We really have volunteers that are helping us, and and they are really fantastic. So I would say yes, it, it's a bit. What it causes more is just kind of a concern, like where is this all going? And and I think uh, Jane and I were up in Cambridge two weeks ago, meeting with all of the food banks of Ontario, and they're all going through exactly the same thing: record numbers. Right, Not sure what they're going to do. Most of them don't have the the volunteer base that we do, so they are struggling. But I will say that all of them as food banks are greatly concerned. Can we keep going at this pace? And also there were a few food banks that let us know at those meetings that they would be closing. They can no longer deal with the pressure
0: that's there. Looking at the numbers like inflation and the Consumer Price Index, which update month to month, showing national and provincial details for each quarter, Pearson says the number of Londoners needing food banks and other basic necessities aren't looking to change anytime soon. He adds that the increasing homeless population has developed a deepened stigma against them as well, creating situations where people are almost afraid to say what they need or say how things could be changed. And so in terms of both the the, the staff on a regular basis, as well as the the people who come in to use the food bank, what are the sort of common recommendations that you hear from those using the food bank for what they think the city needs or or is lacking when it comes to affordability and homelessness in the city?
1: Well, they don't tend to say too much about that. They want to get in and get out, but I'm pretty involved in the homeless stuff. Um, And the food bank is very involved in the homeless stuff. So we we do the homeless lunches. So in the first, two years of of, uh, COVID, we spent $2 million as the food bank providing those lunches to those encampments and others down by the river and also to the winter shelter program. So we're intricately involved with that. So sometimes I'll talk with some of the people that are coming in about that. It is true. Some of the homeless folks have come into the food bank seeking help, but they don't tend to want to do that because they don't want to divulge information. Or anything like that so they tend to stay out in the encampments so the food banks task therefore is to get the food out to them however it is we do that so we work heavily with 519 pursuit who delivers to the encampments and we also work with youth opportunities unlimited you who have homeless kids creating homeless lunches for other homeless kids. It's a great program. It's been going for four years. So we really concentrate on those things. They're expensive. It's a lot of work. Uh, but at the same time, these are, these are agencies that really have the capacity to do it.
0: Situations like this aren't new, though, with people across the world being affected in similar ways due to wars, famine, economic crashes and more. Pearson says there's one group that he particularly sees some similarities to.
1: Should I say These are now Canada's new refugees. Uh, There's hundreds of thousands of them, and they're wandering all over Canada, trying to find resources. You know, some are trying to flee persecution just from their own encampments. Women, for instance, who have been uh, sexually assaulted in these encampments. Some of the violence that takes place, or some neighborhoods that just don't want the people and tell them to get out. So, this is a very profound thing, I mean, we, we've never had anything quite like that before. And so, to call them refugees is maybe a bit of a stark term, but it is what it is. They really have no other resources to help them. Canada, you know, it has a homeless strategy, but it's not nearly enough. And uh, so, what we're seeing is that in every city, the numbers of homeless are growing exponentially every month. So what are you going to do about
0: it? I love that refugee term, because um, especially on a, a, a more local level, um, in terms of the, the sense of, of need, the sense of almost loneliness that can come uh, for the homeless community is, is similar in a way to, to refugees who come in. Um, so I think on a local level, that's a great way to put it.
1: And Jane and I have worked in refugee situations in Bangladesh and also in Sudan, where there have been millions and millions of refugees. Our three kids that we've adopted Sudan were all refugees, right? So the, the, we know the refugee story well, so we're not uh, you know, kind of blithely just kind of making a connection. Mm-hmm. We see great similarities in what is going on. And also what we see is that the numbers are so large. In the, the, the greatest number of refugees since World War II is happening right now around the world right and now in Canada the greatest number of homeless we've ever seen since the founding of our country is wandering all over Canada so this there is a fitting comparison about this in both of those cases either globally or in Canada there there are not the resources to deal with the situation so others have to show up and start doing their job and I really want to hand it to the city with their health and homeless program that they said look at if we truly want to help the homeless we have to give them wraparound supports doctors, uh, you know, help uh, medical staff go to hospital if they need it, uh, drug clinics, those kind of things that will help. On the other hand, all those things are very, very expensive, and there's no way a city can handle that.
0: With things not looking to change in the near future, Pearson goes into more details on what the city is doing to manage its new crisis. He says that things like city planning and homeless hubs are a great start, but they can't successfully be designed to work in the long term
1: it won't work. Um, for all that has happened about that, uh, you know, cities don't have the resources to cover all of this. You know, when Confederation was first started, 85% of Canada were rural. Now 85% of Canada are municipal. But the laws of Confederation and things like that still have it that the cities are kind of the The rent of the litter, so to speak. They have to wait, almost begging, to try to get resources to take care of these problems. And because this problem has really, really mushroomed, unless the feds show up and unless the province shows up, there is no way that plans like this can work. On the other hand, cities are showing by plans like this one that they have the wherewithal to set it up. And, and, and to try to make these things work, but without the resources from senior levels of government, what can the city do? The only way they can raise money is through raising property taxes. That's their okay. only opportunity. So how's that going to work for them? It's, it's going to be really tough.
0: While the world is in a very shaky place right now, with a lot still looming to possibly worsen in the future, Pearson gives some insights into what exactly is needed to quell the current problems in London. He points out exactly what needs to happen to help the population in the city. Looking for
1: is housing and homes for people. That's what they need. And for that's the most expensive of any other kind of social service. So for that to happen the senior levels of government have got to stop playing this old confederation model that's 150 years old and start stepping up and and start helping because the front lines now of government are not
0: in Ottawa and not in Queen's Park, they're in our cities. And so Glenn Pearson says that housing and affordability will be key contributors in aiding the lower income families and individuals in the city. The convenient thing is that that ties into the money Londoners are spending as well, having an impact on middle income homes too. With economies seemingly hanging in the balance a lot of the time, those who have portfolios, investments, mortgages, bills, have been left hanging often enough alongside them. This isn't just a London problem. This has become a Canada and a North America problem as well. Christine Bravo is an associate professor of statistical and actuarial sciences with Western University and says that many countries have had high economic volatility in the past, but the scary thing is how often more stable countries are getting into those situations now too.
2: So what we're looking at here is that while many countries fall into this, I think the latest ones have been um, uh, Ghana, Tunisia, Argentina, Salvador, Zambia, Ethiopia, Mozambique. Those are countries that, due to different situations, they are in harsh economic conditions, right? Ukraine, for example, in the middle of a war, right? Um, uh, A war uh, of aggression of a neighbor. So it is expected that they fall into this sort of complex situations. The difference here is this is a solid country, the largest world economy that says, you know what, due to a political artifact, I cannot pay my debts. That is extremely rare, extremely rare, to the point that it happened for a few days in the 80s in the U.S. due to a computer malfunction, and it was chaos. In the modern times, this is not something that you will expect to happen. And I think that's a problem. We live in a, well, a problem and a virtue of the economic system. I am a big believer in the fact that even though we are so interconnected, we have access to so much prosperity. But on the other hand, we are exposed to everyone's risk. And these sort of political risks, not really economic risks, you're not seeing here that there is a major crisis, that there is a major um This is not a major economic shock, such as in 2008.
0: Anytime you have an expert on statistics and economics bring up the 2008 financial crisis, you know there's a problem somewhere. He goes on to say, though, that even with the consistent ebb and flow of markets across Canada and the globe, the country is still considered to be monetarily safe, even if it may not seem like it. With other countries that are a bit a bit smaller, like you said, kind of higher volatility, it's easier to kind of predict and project what would happen if there was to be that sort of a, of a collapse from an economic standpoint as opposed to countries like Canada, Canada like the U.S., where they're, they're so stable and, like you said, almost AAA-rated countries. Canada is A, yeah.
2: right? So uh, Canada is AAA, and we're very proud of that. We're one of the most solid countries in the world in terms of our, our financial system. And, the, and at the end of the day, these ratings, they are the belief of a different country, um, of what we are, um, of how safe we are. And the world thinks that Canada is really safe right? The U.S., almost as safe as we are, and it's all because of these turmoils that should, they are all self-inflicted. And the thing is, if this belief didn't exist, so the, the, this is something that probably most people don't do the connection with, what is the consequence of a lower interest rates in our bonds? Given that we use these bonds to fund so many of our social pro- programs, basically to pay for some of the welfare state that we have, higher interest rate are directly translatable to higher taxes for us. So this is actually helping keeping our tax rates um, at a lower level than they would otherwise be if we lived in an economy that didn't have the belief or the uh, trust of the financial system that Canada has.
0: While it's important to talk about money, bills, and finances with markets being an important area to keep your eye on, many people's eyes gloss over when someone gets too technical down that line, though. So what are the essential takeaways from something like this? And what should Canadians and Londoners be looking out for heading into an unstable future?
2: At the end of the day, uh, we should be passive investors, most of us, 99.9% of us, right? Which means you keep your money in something diversified that that is well um, that is well tuned to the level of risk that we have, and we keep it there, right? Right. That should never change in regards to this. I will never advise that people will be like, no, no, you should be more active and selling this and putting it into something else. As long as you have a good plan with your money that you're confident with and it's attuned to your level of risk, you will be as okay as you can be in the grand scheme of things because these turmoils are not something that you or I will have any influence on. The important thing here is that we decide on a level of risk that we are happy to take in terms of how much we have in the stock market, how much we have on safe investments, GACs, bonds, whatever, and we stick to those given our financial plans.
0: Bravo ended by saying that. One of the biggest things to keep in mind when reading the news or seeing big fluctuations… Is just to keep a level head.
2: I'm just saying, like, okay, don't panic if this is this volatility, for example. If you were to have sold when things were going down and then revived today, you will be paying more, right? You will have lost money instead of just waiting it out. Because I am. We are not active traders, we shouldn't be. Right, companies, big investors and stuff like that, that's a different thing, but that's not something um, that, that we will be discussing in these instances. There are lots of different factors that they need that big companies and big financial institutions need to take into account to decide their portfolios. But that's not something that you or I should care when we are considering our own
0: finances. So it's easy to see just how the different changes across the globe are impacting us as Canadians and as Londoners on a regular basis. The important thing across the board is to always be prepared, keep your ear to the ground, and be thankful for the things we do have, because others around the globe are often in worse situations than us. It doesn't change the fact that rising food prices, increasing homelessness, and economic inconsistencies are a big problem, but there are definitely ways for us to begin thinking ahead and getting set for the future. Thank you for listening. You can find other episodes on our website at 1069thex.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For almost 107, I'm Justin Kohler.